The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Welcome aboard Flight 136 of the Squawk Ident Podcast, recorded on the 9th of July, 2023. From the mobile Aviator Sound Studios, high atop the 22nd floor of the Element Hotel in downtown Philadelphia. On today's flight, we catch up with Terry and Alex. Together, we will discuss Terry's long-term training and Alex's move to the Big D. We also discuss Aviator Tony's recurrent training, LOE, and the most violated FAR in aviation, sterile cockpit. We also received some wonderful feedback from Captain Roger. Where in the world is Captain Roger? We're going to find out. All this and more on this, the 136th episode of the Squawk Ident Joining us today is an outstanding aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information System Technician, Certified Flight Instructor, and an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from his new home from somewhere in Justin, Texas, please help me in welcoming our very own Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's been a minute. Last time that I remember we were together, we were in the uh, Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California together. Yeah, yeah, very true. Did a show uh, in the same studio instead of uh, online. So that was a lot of fun. And thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, that was super fun. And uh, I definitely got a copy of Andrew's book and it's now uh, a centerpiece on our coffee table. Um that's actually per per the wife. She said, I think this is a good uh, coffee table piece. And I went, perfect. So there's where it sits and it's out for everybody to see. And uh, I appreciate Andrew for sending that. Uh, thanks again. Uh, it actually is a really good read. I was able to thumb through it on some of the stuff that I needed questions answered on. Um, so again, appreciate it. It's a good shout out to all the, the future aviators out there. Good book. Good, yeah. solid book. Yeah. And what book are you talking about, Alex, for those listeners out there that are that may have not have heard the previous few episodes? Uh, It is the Airline Transition Manual um, by its three authors. We interviewed one, Andrew Ross, um, trying to see what episode that was. I want to say 134, 133, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think Um, it was 134. And that's the episode entitled The Airline Transition. Uh, Yeah, episode 134. Andrew uh, and I go way back from the Sandpiper days. A really good book. I'm very proud of him for being a big part of making that book come to reality. It's a great piece of literature to find out more about what to expect at an airline. Uh, I know that when I was coming up, I had no idea what to expect. And I just was going from what I heard, word of mouth, from other flight instructors and my instructor and people that were not in the airline industry that heard it from their instructor and their instructor before them. So um, having a book like this really does take away a lot of the guesswork. And when you show up, you may not remember all of it, but when you show up day one of class at your first job with the 121 carrier, yeah. 
you'll at least kind of go, oh, okay, that makes sense now. And it'll all click together. Yeah. Well, and that and that honestly was like the good point of the book is at least, you know, I know they work for all three of those uh, pilots who wrote it all work for Transglobal. Um, but, you know, it's genericized. It, it, it could be any airline that that these these rules or or whatever takes place in you know stuff about the union stuff about reserve stuff about day on the line it was a really good read and caveat to that i keep in contact uh you may remember this his name's keith not keith from little rock keith from north dakota um i told him to get the book and start reading it and all that stuff and him and i have kept in contact he uh, just went through ATP CTP uh, a couple weeks ago here in Dallas, went through orientation at Sandpiper Regional last Wednesday, uh-huh. and starts in dock tomorrow morning oh. at Sandpiper Regional. Congratulations, uh, Keith from North Dakota. So I know he's super uh, excited, and uh, I'm hoping that when I'm in recurrent that I can uh, bump into him in the schoolhouse and be like, yo, what up? Yep. It's it's a small world. How many times do I have to say it, people? It's a small world, this industry. So make sure that you make friends and play nice in the sandbox. Yes, I 100% agree. You never know who you're going to run into. Yes. And uh, also joining us today is Superb Aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a retired Army Colonel and former Black Hawk Battalion Commander. He has commanded Apaches, Black Hawks, C-12s, UC-35s, Embraer 145s, and Boeing 737s. He has a master's degree in management and strategic studies, and he is currently a Boeing 7576 pilot for Trans Global Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to his employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his mobile studio in downtown Denver, Colorado, where he is stuck in a box at the training hotel high atop the seventh floor of the sheraton denver downtown hotel he has taken a break from week four of 7576 training at trans global help us in welcoming our very own terry s terry how you doing doing okay doing okay happy to be here uh happy to uh not be in the box at the moment i'm in this box but i'm not in the box that moves around so <laughs> yes you know that's later today yeah so you know we we for those listeners out there that may not um understand what the box is you know we in the industry commonly refer to the full motion you know what is it level d simulator as the box you know uh because when you look at it it's a giant what is it 30 by 30 box that is suspended about 15 to 20 feet in the air on hydraulic cylinders that is a full motion simulator and when you're inside this multi-million dollar machine you know when you walk through that door across the ramp the the, the bridge the connector onto this uh, simulator and they close the door they lift that bridge up and now it's on full motion the the front half of that is identical to the airplane and they always the first thing they tell you in briefing whether it's your first time or you've been doing this for 30 years they tell you treat it like the real deal like the airplane you know we we commonly call it the box but man that that is one impressive piece of kit now your experience over at global you know you're you're in the box how how many weeks have you been in the simulator now uh, so in the simulator itself, uh, today is 
session number three. So the way uh, the way that our training is laid out, uh, we fall under the AQP program. Um, so the first uh, what five ish days are systems and systems validation. So you have a bunch of systems classes. And at the end of that, you do your systems validation, which is a like a 150 question test um, that uh, tests on all the different systems of the aircraft plus uh, limitations. Um, and, and then after systems, you move into procedures and uh, procedures is I want to say it's like five or six sessions again. And for procedures, you're in a. Uh, you can be in the full flight simulator. They don't turn it on motion, but generally they try to do those in our, we have flight training devices, which are full up cockpit mock-ups with all the switches and buttons and everything, just like the, uh, the full motion sim and just like the aircraft. It just doesn't move. Like it's, uh, it's in a room in the training sim. So we do uh, uh, like five sessions in the FTD, and then we have our procedures validation and the procedures validation is basically just making sure that uh you know you can set up the airplane from start to finish going through your flows uh going through the actual procedures for like uh getting out to the runway push back getting out to the runway taxi and takeoff uh landing after landing and parking at the gate so just the basic stuff uh, then once you do your procedures validation, you move into the full flight sim. Uh, after, uh, let's see, full flight sim is, is when they start incorporating emergency procedures. Uh, it's when you get to practice landing for the first time, which is always uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then at the end of, I believe it's five sessions, uh, you have what's called a maneuvers validation. And basically what that is is to uh ensure that you know how to do the emergency procedures and you can do the basic things like take off and climb the cruise and uh you do single engine work like today today is engine failure day they, mm. they jokingly called it uh leg day um <laughs> dead, so, <foot> dead engine <laughs> that's right um so uh today's engine failure day uh, we'll have one more session tomorrow, or is it two more sessions? I got to look at the calendar, but basically at the end of that, at, um, at the end of this first part of the, the full flight sim, uh, we do what's called a maneuvers validation. Mm -hmm. So we'll do all of the maneuvers that we're required to do. And then after that, uh, the last, uh, four or five sessions in simulators all, uh, line oriented flight training. So actual line operations, you're practicing the, the, the different things that, uh, that you'll do while you're on the line, you know, actually flying flights in the simulator and encountering some, uh, minor emergencies, some major emergencies, you know, just, uh, uh, reacting to it and, uh, and affecting a safe outcome for the flight. Yeah. So at the end of that, we do our, uh, our line operating, line operating or line oriented evaluation, LOE. Line, oper it. line operation uh, experience, I think. Or something. Or so, so that's basically your check ride, yeah. uh, for the, uh, uh, for the course. And then because this is a combined type, 
after that, we have two more sessions uh, where we do differences training. Uh-huh. Um, so this this combined type is seven five for for us. We have the seven fifty seven two hundred, the seven fifty seven three hundred, the seven sixty seven three hundred, and the seven sixty seven four hundred. And wow. the uh, the differences training is pretty much on the the seven six four hundred because okay. uh, like today I think we'll be in a seven six three hundred sim so uh, everything is mixed except for that four hundred because I think I think we only have two of those and there's only like a handful of those in the world so oh uh, but the cockpit layout is is pretty much the same right throughout it's it's similar. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the seven five uh, is an EFIS aircraft, mm. uh, and I, I, sh- I should send you some pictures uh, to show what the differences are. But basically, the seven five is an EFIS aircraft. It's the uh, I believe it's the first Boeing aircraft with ICAS. So we do have an ICAS uh, compared to the seven three, which did not. Um, but the, uh, like in the seven, six, 400, the screens are, uh, the same screens that are in the seven thirty seven NG. So the, the 700, 800, 900. Wow. Um, it's it's amazing to to like keep it all straight because really when you get a type rating and people don't really think about this very often, but when you get a type rating, you're good to fly a particular type of aircraft, but that doesn't speak to the fact that there could be uh, many, many different configurations, both of the systems of the aircraft. They could all be tweaked a little bit um, or the layout of the flight deck. There could be different equipment on board. There, like you mentioned, the EFIS, which is the electronic... Uh, electronic flight, flight instrumentation system. system. Um, and so we're talking digital um yeah displays that are a little bit different um so you have to learn these systems and recognize and and in one in a single day let's say you have three legs you could be flying three different same type i should say but three different layouts of airplanes yeah if you have three legs in a day and a 757 you're doing something wrong (laughs) (laughs) well you know i used to say that about the airbus a321 like if you're doing three legs a day, come on! But I did. F- I've been doing four <laughs> legs oh, a day because wow. we've been picking up that uh, regional flying that uh, I guess I could say Mesa used to fly for uh, contracted out for Legacy Airlines, and and now they're not. And uh, a lot of that flying is supposed to be picked up by some of the wholly owns like Sandpiper, um, and they're even opening a base in Phoenix. Sandpiper is, however, um, and I think they they opened it, but there's still a lot of flying that needs to be had and it takes time to schedule and to get, you know, men and equipment and in place so that you can have an operation going at full steam ahead. And that just didn't happen fast enough. So guess who's picking up the slack? It's mainline. So legacy is now flying. I mean, some of the places I've been to lately, Bakersfield, California, uh, (laughs) Santa Barbara, you know, uh, we're going into i know alex was complaining we're going into san luis obispo now um granted those are usually on a 319 uh but just like just like your 7576 and the 737 they have you get one type and you have multiple 
aircraft. And when, and when I in, uh, introduced you today, I don't know if you've listened or if you heard this, but I said 7576. This is a common way to refer to the Boeing 757 and 767, uh, two different um, size airplanes. The emergency exit doors are a little different from each other. There's, there's, there's a lot of little things that you can tell by looking at the airplane from the outside that'll tell you the difference between one and the other. Um, and there's one type rating. And then you were talking about differences. So you learn one, and then you learn the differences between all the other types. Airbus has the same thing. That's why we call it the Airbus A320 family. 319, 320, 321, sharklets, non-sharklet, IAE engines versus CFM engines. And then we have the NEO, the new engine design, or the NX. Um, and then there's the XLR, which is going to be certified here pretty soon. And I'll have some exciting news about that coming up in future shows about the XLR and my involvement in that. So, um, Terry, thank you for, for sharing that with us about how your, your training uh, is all laid out. Now, you've been at TransGlobal now for how long? Um, about nine, nine months. Nine yeah. months. And already... Actually, ten, ten months now. And in ten it's months, you're acquired... You're, you're going to acquire here when you're done with this, two type ratings. Yep. And I know we've talked yeah. about this before in the show, but how is that possible? Is what, a lot of times there's like seat locks and like you can't bid out of equipment for a year or two years because training is expensive on the airline. That takes you off the line as a pilot. Now they have to recuperate that spot that you're no longer filling a seat on a 7-5 fleet. And now they're putting you through this training. Long-term training is usually about six weeks could be as long as eight weeks with IOE and everything. Um, so it's expensive on the company and all that time in the simulator. And, and it's, it's usually like pretty much one on two, right? One instructor and two students or however you want to call it. Um, so it's not like it's a classroom full of 30 people and you're good to go. Um, this is pretty much one-on-one -on -one training. So it's expensive. And normally they have what's called a seat lock, right? How did your transition to the 7576 get around that so uh for us at transglobal um the way our contract is written we can always move up oh. um so like if if you're in the 73 you're narrow body you want to bid to a wide body you can always do that um if you are uh say you're a triple seven fo um, and, and we have different categories. So like narrow body is one category, seven, five, seven, six is another category. And then, uh, triple seven and seven, eight, seven is the, the top category. Um, so if you're a triple seven FO and you just go through training and you decide you want to move to the seven, eight, well, you can't do that. You're seat locked in the triple seven because they're in the same category. I see. But if you are a triple seven FO, let's say you just finished training and an upgrade opens up. Even if it's on the 7.3, you can upgrade to the 7.3. So you can always move up in status, but moving laterally or down, um, you are subject to the, uh, the seat lock. So I, uh, I was able to, uh, to bid for 7.5. This um, is the airplane I wanted to fly, and uh, I got the award. So um, it's, it's 
nice for us that that we can always move up um and you know it it makes sense i mean because the uh the bigger airplanes pay more money right so by not allowing you to move up they would basically be restricting your income yeah yeah oh i see so it's more of a a restriction to your growth if they put a seat lock for moving up and right you know that 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 makes sense and a lot of regional airlines have seat locks because they only have maybe one fleet or maybe two fleets and i think at uh, sandpiper we had the same thing it was a two-year seat lock but you could move up by getting an upgrade or right. you can move from i believe at the time well from the beginning of my career there, we had many airplanes. Okay? We had the ATR, we had the, um, the Saab, we had the uh, Embraer 145 and the CRJ. And so if you got on, say, the Saab, and six months down the road you wanted to go to the Embraer, no problem, you could do that. Uh, but then from the Embraer, let's say you're like, hey, you know, the Embraer is at this base and the sob is at a different base and i'd rather you know this is too much i want to go back you couldn't do that not for two years um so yeah it makes sense what you're saying is it yeah usually you can move up but you just can't move lateral or you can't move back so right and so. now now um you know we there are some actually uh some carve outs to that as well so we had uh several guys in my new hire class and several new hire classes in that time period where uh, they were forced into the wide body because uh you know when when you show up for day one of training and you bid for your aircraft in your base uh the 737 went junior mm -hmm. i'm sorry went senior and the wide bodies oh. all went junior oh, because wow. of quality of life right mm -hmm. um we we have uh if you are a brand new triple seven fo going to a fleet where everybody is senior you're going to be the junior guy for a very long time yeah right yeah um well we have some carve outs in our contract so uh just recently a few months ago we opened a couple new bases uh we opened a base in florida and a base in vegas and one of the carve outs in our contract is if they open a new base, if you are in another category where there would normally be a seat lock, the seat lock is lifted. Okay. So when they open those new bases, a bunch of the, the guys from my class, guys and girls from my class who were seven, triple seven uh, FOs were able to bid into the 737 and come to training for a better quality of life yeah so yeah. uh kind of just kind of interesting how you know how the contracts work and and uh you know exceptions to the normal rules yeah and that's why it's so important to understand your employer uh, employee agreement or contract because if you Absolutely. don't if you don't know these things and you just you know you show up to work you do your job everything's going okay you you know the great thing about this career is you know, when you set that parking brake and you step off the aircraft back into the terminal, I mean, that's it. You're, you don't really think about your job much anymore. You're going home or you're going to the hotel or whatever, and it's not a big deal. 
And once you get home, that's it. Most of us, you know, we have families that we've been away from or, you know, other careers or other jobs or, or personal businesses or something or education that we're concentrating on when we're not working. And that's the great thing about this career. But if you don't know the contract because you haven't spent the time, um, there could be things you're missing out on, like quality of life improvements. And that's why many of the carriers here in the U.S. have had such a hard time renegotiating their contracts. And it's because they can throw money at us and say, well, we're going to pay you, you know, whatever, $250, $350 an hour of flight time is how we get paid, right? And you think, wow, these pilots are getting paid all that money. What the heck do they want? What more do they want from that? But it's the quality of life that really makes the big difference because you can throw as much money at it as you want. But if the career is getting in the way for your you know, basic human quality of having a family and having a life outside of work, then the money's it's not worth it. And that's why we're having a hard time with contracts. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, they have these carve outs that are all predicated on making the pilot's life a little bit more flexible with their career. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, you definitely got to know your contract. I mean, what, what good is $500 an hour if you can't enjoy it, right? Um, yeah, true. If you're always stuck in an airplane or or getting reassigned on your days days off or you know things like that what what good is the money if you can't ever enjoy it and be with your family to enjoy it you know yeah so yeah it's uh it's it's always about more than just money and they'll they'll always put a uh put a dollar value on it you know they'll they'll find ways to equate it to money but um it's it's always it's not just about the money yeah. Now, now getting back to your training now, this is very interesting because here at Squawk Ident, you know, we are always focused on the journey of today's aviator and the realities of what today's aviator can expect in the marketplace. You know, what's the what's the hiring like right now? What is training like at this carrier versus that carrier? And we've been very fortunate that, you know, Rob went through his upgrade training last month. He's out on the line right now. Actually, I was very excited. Terry and I were talking before the show today that I got a notification last night. Ding! Hey, your, your buddy is at the same layover as you. And we have this program that uh, one of our pilots, a very, very smart guy, IT guy, he made this program called Lightsaber. And you have to pay, you know, I think it's like right now, just about 20 bucks a month to have this app on your phone and it actually tells you all kinds of things like you can put in employee numbers of your friends and if you're at the same layover it'll say hey by the way did you know that your buddy is at the same layover as you so immediately i text rob and i'm like dude what time do you get into philadelphia and he's like well i'm on my way now and i'm like well i don't get until midnight so are you leaving early he's like yeah it's a short layover so even though we were in the same place uh within you know hours of each other but you know it just didn't work out for us to to have a meetup otherwise we would have had a, a really cool meetup um but this program also will check you in for deadhead flights it will tell you when your schedule has changed you can be in the middle of a trip and you will get this notification real time beeping cruise scheduling has modified your sequence and you're like oh have they and then usually a couple of minutes later you'll get the company 
um, app send you a notification going, uh, due to modification in your sequence, please confirm your, <laughs> your, uh, your schedule. And uh, it kind of gives you a heads up. And I mean, the, the app does many, many, many things. So if you're a pilot over at Legacy, um, obviously you, you know about it. But uh, other carriers have these kind of apps too. Now, Terry, does Transglobal have an independent app that's not company related? Did somebody yeah, we do. Um, it's uh, it's probably not quite as uh, fancy as that, and I think I don't think that's a fault of the developer. I think that's a fault of the si- computer systems that the company uses mm-hmm. uh, and the interface. But um, yeah, we have an app that uh, it's it's interesting. There's ac- there's actually two different uh, apps. There's one where uh, it's got links to everything. Uh, it will uh, allow you to download your schedule, and then your schedule will have hyperlinks on it where you can like uh, you can click on somebody's employee number, and the picture pops up, and oh, wow. you know you can you know see what they look like before, so you, so you know who to look for when you get into the, the crew room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it'll have their it has their phone number in it if they uh, uh, authorize that, so yeah, um, you know you can text them beforehand. Um, there, it, there are a bunch of different functions on there, which, uh, make it pretty nice. And then there's another app that the company actually, um, I don't know if they bought it or if they bought a license to it. It's more for the, um, <clears throat> trip trading and, uh, and things like that. So the company has allowed them access to the system <clears throat> so that, uh, you can go in and, and, and it keeps track of your schedule as well. So. When you're talking about getting notifications to changes to your schedule, right. that app will notify me as they're doing it in real time on the computer. And so I'll get the notification. And then, you know, within seconds, my phone rings telling me, <laughs> you know, it's crew scheduling. So nice. See, and it's amazing what we can do with technology, you know? So think about that the next time you're on TikTok and Instagram and wasting hours of your precious life every day <laughs> looking at stuff and and think well i could be maybe developing an app that makes me a couple million dollars i don't know <laughs> yeah you know i i figure this this one app that uh this this one guy put together he charges ten dollars a year right oh, it's nothing. it's pennies yeah um but ten dollars a year times sixteen thousand pilots that's a good he does okay. change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can't imagine what their, uh, the legacy airline guy uh, for lightsaber because it's oh, 20 yeah. bucks times 15, 16,000 pilots a month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But anyway, back to, back to your training. I'm, I'm very excited because Rob went through it. You're going through it. And in what did we figure out? Four or five days, I'll be going through it. Um, and I'm, that's why the podcast has not been coming out with some kind of regularity. I mean, when we started this thing back in 2019, it was like once a week, if not more. Uh, you know, it's me sitting in in a in a cold, dark room, uh, recording into a, a cheap microphone and <laughs> talking about this amazing adventure that I've been on for the past 20 years, and uh, and then it developed into you know about about three times a month 
And we've held steady to that schedule. And then, you know, things got busy life, you know, we've all, we all got really busy and, you know, two times a month. And now I'm looking at once a month and I, I apologize. I know I've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners. Hey, when are you coming out with the next show? It's been a while. What's going on, man? Are you still doing the podcast? <laughs> so yes, don't worry, listener. I am still going to be producing this podcast. I have my best friends that record this with me whenever I can and whenever they're available. So yes, it'll keep going. The regularity at which it comes out may not be what we all want. And we all kind of want to see more regularity. But as you can all understand and imagine, things get busy and the training takes center stage. So um, I'll be very, I'm very excited to to share my training adventure with everyone. Um, and I'm very grateful to Terry and to Rob that they've shared, and even Alex, that his he's tr- uh, shared his training uh, at his initial when he was at Sandpiper. So yeah, definitely excited to share all that with you guys. Thank you, Terry, for sharing uh, your schedule and what you've been going through. Now, just to get a little bit more uh, personal, what has been the biggest challenge in this, I mean, you just went through seven three training. It, they're all Boeing product, right? What's been the biggest hurdle for you? Yeah, so so that that being a Boeing product, that is that has been nice because uh, I, I would say you know, and, and this is just a, a, a guesstimate, a, a swag, if you will. Um, about 70% similar, right? So it, it's actually, I, I, I was telling my instructor this last night, training is so much easier this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I struggled going through uh, initial, you know, I'd been out of the cockpit for three years. Um, yeah. Or I hadn't flown anything bigger than a, a 172. So, um, you know, that, that was rough. And now coming into this, coming off the line on the 7.3, um, this has been, this is more of a, much more of a gentleman's course. Uh, <laughs> I gotcha. Um, so, so for, for me, the, the biggest challenge has been, uh, being away from home, you know, just, uh, being away from the family, the wife and kids. And, uh, you know, it's trying to, trying to maintain some type of, uh, uh, communication with them. You know, they're, they're two hours ahead. Uh, they're on the East Coast, and I'm here in Denver. And so, you know, like, I'll have a, a late night sim session, and uh, that, it goes like last night. I was in the sim until ten o'clock, and like, I can't call them. The kids are in bed, right? So, you know, I, I and I couldn't get in touch with them beforehand because they're out doing their thing, you know, having a good time and doing the things that that uh, kids do. So. Yeah, I would I would say the the being away from home part. Uh, I was just able to to go home uh, a few days ago. I was home for about thirty six hours. Caught a red eye home. Uh, slept in my own bed for one night, and then uh, got back on a plane and, and came back here to Denver. So yeah, um, yeah, you know, and, and being away from from home is it's just part of the life, right? Yeah, uh, but it's usually not for such an extended period of time. So, yeah, this is uh, you know, uh, I I will be happy to be done with training and be back at home. Yeah, 
that's the biggest, you know, and if we can convey any knowledge to anyone out there that's, you know, working on their ratings thinking that I'm going to be an airline pilot, it's going to be amazing. Yes, it is an amazing career. We advocate for people to get into it. We advocate for, you know, how rewarding this career can be. But you, man, you hit the nail on the head. There's always a backlash to something. I don't know if backlash is the right word, but it's it's a consequence to this career. It's a consequence to be able to fly 200,000 pounds worth of equipment around six miles above the surface of the earth at five to 600 miles an hour. There's a consequence to that. And that is you're going to be away from home. You're going to miss birthdays. You're going to miss graduations. You're going to miss this stuff. And depending on your seniority, um, there's a reason some people stay at an, a regional airline and don't leave and don't upgrade. And we've been you know, harping about quality of life here on the show for years. And it's because, you know, so you're not flying 200,000 pound jet. You're only flying a, you know, 80,000 pound jet and only 40 to 50 to 60 people around instead of 200 plus people. And you're, you know, maybe only staying domestically or within the continental U.S. versus, you know, flying over into Vienna or Amsterdam or, or Milan, Captain Roger. And so, you know, there's there's give and take. But I I used to think, man, you're you've been at a regional for 20 years. What the heck's wrong with you? Why don't you do you are you afraid of going to the main line or what, what's going on here? I, I couldn't grasp it. I mean, because my goal was always get to the top, get to the top of that pyramid, fly the heavies, you know, be the, the, the big man on campus, right? But I wasn't really giving the respect to those that put quality of life, family, all that stuff first. And maybe that's one of the biggest mistakes that I made of not realizing that earlier because I now get it and I would never think that anymore that, hey, just because you stayed at a, you know, a regional level or maybe a part 135 level or corporate level and you're happy to have that as a career because you get to spend more time at home and you understand the important things in life. I totally get that now. And just if I can give any advice out there to the listener, and it's that have some respect and, and honor to those that have found their niche and they're perfectly content staying at whatever operation they're at, just because they don't have the same goals as you or aspirations as you doesn't make their choices any different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the same thing when you you look at people who uh, even here at the legacies uh, who uh, are still first officers, right? They're they're super super senior, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they they've stayed first officers. Well, why why would why don't you want to be in charge? Well, it's not about that. It, it's really not. It's about quality of life. You know the. Uh, where I was uh, flying the 737, um, the number one first officer at that base on that equipment was like 4,000 something in the company, right? Um, he, he, but he could get whatever schedule he wanted. And, you know, if he wanted to do nothing but day trips, 
he could do nothing but day trips and sleep at home in his own bed every night and get paid quite well for it. Right. Right. Um, there was one, uh, I, I, I remember seeing something, uh, this was a few months ago, but a trip popped into open time and it was, it was out of DC. It was a Nassau turn and it was uh, fly from DC to Nassau and then deadhead back. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was like almost 10 hours of pay. Um, because I think it went premium. Mm. And, uh, you know, I saw, I, I saw it like seconds after it popped up. I don't know how I just happened to be in the system at the time. And so it popped up and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I, I would be, oh man, there's already somebody up there who, you know, who would be above me if they took that trip. And then within 30 minutes, um, it had gone all, <laughs> there were people, uh, first officers from my seniority, even below my seniority, all the way up. The number one guy, uh, number one FO in base got that trip. Yeah. And, and he got paid very well to go do that because he was probably off that day. And he's like, oh, yeah, why not? I'll go make a, you know, what? I don't even know how many, how much money. I think it was something like 2000 bucks. Yeah. To go do a Nassau turn. <laughs> for like three hours of work or something like that it's just yeah. insanity but but it's about you know it's about quality of life so yeah like like you said you know it's initially you might have that that curiosity like why isn't this guy upgrading or why isn't this guy you know wanting to move to a, a bigger airplane or or uh, a mainline carrier or something like that it, it's not about that it's it's not always about that you know some of us have those aspirations and some people you know yeah uh, have uh, have different aspirations yeah you know and uh, greg daigle alex's dad you know we we interviewed him uh, shows ago uh, fantastic experience i really enjoyed sitting with him and hearing stories about how his journey led him to a very fruitful career at uh, at, at legacy airlines um and he said something that I've been thinking a lot more about in the past few weeks. He said that seniority is not everything. It's the only thing. And the first time I heard him say that, I thought in relation to getting hired somewhere, in relation to your career progression, seniority is very important. We live in a seniority-based career field right? So it's, it's not about how good you are as a pilot or how dedicated you are as an employee. What matters is that your seniority number is the next one to be called up for an upgrade, for a base transfer, for anything, even your pay. It's all seniority based. It doesn't matter how good you are. And I never really thought about that in relation to quality of life. But it absolutely, like this example you've given us with the, you know, picking up this turn that turned into, you know, very profitable, seniority is the only thing that matters. It's, you know, it, it even improves your, your quality of life and your ability to pick up trips, you know, um, and vacation too, you know, it's, the vacation is also awarded based on seniority. So when it, there's a lot to be said to staying in one place for, yep, for a long I'll, period of time i'll enjoy my uh, my vacation the uh the week after new year's 
<laughs> the week after <laughs> New Year's. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the the beauty of this career as well. Is once you get a little bit of seniority, you can move your trips around and give yourself a little five day block off. Uh, call it whatever you want, golden days or untouchable days, and then. You just go, all right, family, I got five days off. Where are we going? Let's hop on a plane and go to New Jersey. I mean, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that. You know, And I look forward to hearing how your progression is going to continue on uh, with your training and, and your IOE experience as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, definitely keep you posted and you know, I, I, I believe the way IOE works is I have to get, uh, I have to touch all four of the different aircraft that fall in this type. Mm. Oh, okay. And, and the, uh, the seven, six, 400, um, basically is a baby triple seven. Okay. And so it does trips very similar to cool places. So, yeah. So they'll have uh, to. I look forward to uh, to experiencing some of those cool trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Alex, uh, back to you. Let's talk about this big move to the Big D. What are we talking about? Dallas, Texas. Yep. Right in the, the heart. F, the F dub. The the F dub. The DFW man. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's being based here. Like I, I, you know, I, we talked about this, um, what a couple shows ago about how like doing this move was, it was fiscally responsible for, for me and my family and all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, it's a game changer. You know, I, I was doing some quick mass on this and this is just seat and butt time commuting to California and from California out of DFW. And that's a three-hour flight. You know it. You do it all the time. So if I do four trips a month, I have to commute on the front end and the back end of the trip. That's six hours every trip that I'm sitting a butt in a seat. That's not getting to the airport. That's not doing all the extras, you know, getting there early, you know, flying in early and then having to wait extra time. I'm just talking sitting my happy ass in a seat to fly from California to Dallas and Dallas to California. That's six hours a trip. If I do four trips a month, that's 24 hours. I effectively lose a day every month just sitting my happy ass in a seat. Oh, so a day a month, 12 days a year times 20 or 30 years. Yeah, that's months that's- of your life that you will never get back. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about quality of life. You know, um, people yep. choose to commute, right? And when you hear a VP of something yep. or a, uh, you know, somebody in management go, well, you choose to commute. Well, really? Mm-hmm. Why did you open up no. all your bases in the biggest cities around the country that are extremely expensive and, and, you know, tax rates are huge and transportation costs are huge. And well, you expect us to pay us this and live in these big cities. Let's talk about that. You're going to find me a house, you know? So yeah, we choose to commute. But it's all about quality of life and, you know, trying to trying to keep up with the expenses of living and still being able to have this career. So yeah, good, well, good choice. That's, that's that's the whole point of it is to, to have that like, you know, like what you're saying is like we we live in the one of the outskirts of Dallas. Uh, Dallas Fort Worth, right? Um, it's a small town called Justin. You guys can look it up. 
Um, we're 10 minutes past the speedway. You can look it up. Um, it, it, it's a small town. It's about a 35 minute drive, no traffic, 45 with traffic. I can actually say that not like in California where it's like, Oh, how long is it without traffic? Oh, it's like 20 minutes. How long is it with traffic? Three hours. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, uh, but having that, that ability and I've already done, uh, two trips. One was a four day trip and one was, a a day turn, which I was able to do a day turn and just go to the airport and come back and be home by five o'clock that night. And you're saving money too, because not only are you not dealing with commuting and LA expenditures, you're also dealing with the fact that you can do a day trip. And yes. if you're on reserve, especially you don't have to get a hotel or pay for a crash pad. You can just drive home and eat well, and bring yourself a bag lunch, you know, a thermos with some coffee in it and you're good to go. You're not spending all this money in hotels and restaurants and everything else that you have to do when you're a traveler. Like I had breakfast that morning. It was a crew appreciation day. So I got a free lunch at the airport and I had dinner at home that night. Like that was, it was incredible to actually do that for the first time in my life. Yeah. Like ever. So that, you know, we've been in the house now two weeks. We're, we were talking in the pre-show that we're pretty much settled in to, to our house and our life and, and, and just kind of figuring our way around the, the area now is just getting used yeah. to everything. And, yeah. um, and it's basically where we're at. So, yeah. Have you been flying trips? Like you mentioned the one trip that you did the day trip, but have you been flying more trips since you've been settling in? Yeah, um, I had, uh, basically I, I took two weeks off. Um, I worked my schedule to, to be able to get some time and, uh, all out sick on one of my trips. Cause I was, my allergies just when I got here were just through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a trip that I, uh, um, I had like right after we had kind of gotten settled and everything all set up that, uh, we, you know, I had a four day and it was perfect. It was just the nice ease back into everything. Again, I was gone at like, I think I got to go to the airport by like one and I was home by, you know, three. So, and that's the beauty is like when I'm done with a trip now, I just go hop on the employee shuttle bus and go to my car and head yeah. home. Yeah. Well, enjoy it while you so, can. I mean, I'm sure in your career, oh, you'll, to. you know, the, with the next transition, you know, then you're going to upgrade to captain soon and then you're going to be on the bottom of the list. And the question is, do you wait until you can hold a Dallas captain seat on your aircraft or do you take the first one available and be willing to commute again? Sam and Piper, I'm going to be okay for a while. You'll be okay for a while? Yeah, when upgrade comes, because we've been hiring so many direct entry captains, mm -hmm. I'm senior to most of the captains I've flown with recently. Yeah, and, and that's something, the that concept that's relatively new in the industry is, you know, when you traditionally, it was a very simple concept. You get hired at a, at a carrier, okay, and your seniority, as your father would say, is, is not everything, it's the only thing, and yep. that would dictate how you you know move to the base you want so you don't have to commute and then a little bit later are you going to upgrade the question was you know you're going to upgrade in base and wait or are you going to be willing to commute again and be on reserve or maybe wait until you can hold a line before you upgrade and it's all about quality of life right so and yeah. and so when you when you make these decisions 
they're pretty simple. It's all based on seniority. But now yeah. that we have these direct entry positions, because the airlines, because of the lack of the availability of qualified applicants, they're offering people direct entry bonuses. If you have a previous experience at another regional and you bring that over, you, you immediately go right to captain. But because you're only a one-year pilot then you're on the bottom of the captain list. And then all those FOs that have been there for three, four, five years that are upgrading, guess what? Their seniority is going to be above yours. So you might be getting paid well for the first two or three years as a captain, and you got to you know sit in the left seat right away. And that's great too, but you're going to be on the bottom of the reserve list for a very, very long time. And that's what you're alluding to is yep. that, well when uh well you're no you're saying it is like when you got to figure these guys like say a guy is hired a year after i got hired so let's use march of 2023 right um because i was hired in march of 2022 the day that i am able to hold captain he's still got another year before he's kind of able to be in that same spot now where i am right and that's what's happening with all these direct entry captains is, yeah, it's all well and good that you're a captain and you're doing all this. And so right now you'll be flying and you'll be doing good and you're on reserve or you may be able to get senior enough and hold a line and do all that stuff as a captain. But all the people that are senior to you that are FOs, you got to find where that bottom tier is to where, you know, that that senior FO to you and then you. That's where you realize, okay, I got to wait for him to upgrade. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not trying to say this to sound cocky or anything like that, but by the time that I'm eligible to hold captain's seat, you know, I'm going to jump probably three or 400 people just off the get-go, just based off of I'm now senior to them in the captain's seat. Yeah. So I will probably not have to sit reserve except for maybe the first month off of uh, IOE. Wow. Yeah, this is new. This is absolutely new because this is not really something that the industry has seen for many, many decades. This is a past few years. Like, no, you know, we're, we're hitting this quote pilot shortage and we're, we're doing the best we can as the regionals to survive. And this is the best solution that they have. So yeah, what, what what other choices do we have? We don't, we don't have pilots to fill seats. Like some of these guys I'm flying with are they haven't flown an airplane in like, 10 years. Well, what's the backlash too? Because if you think about it, okay, so, you know, these regionals are giving away all these bonuses and now it's so lucrative. It's, it's actually more lucrative to go to a regional airline for the first five years of your career than yep. to go direct entry to a mainline. So if you're a military pilot, maybe, I mean, seniority is the only thing. So maybe going directly to a mainline is a good choice if that is an option to you. But financially, you know, at the end of the day, that could going to a regional instead to collect that big bonus and, and the high dollar salary for a few years and then transition to a main line might be the better choice. However, you just mentioned the fact that these people that are doing direct entry are going to be at the bottom of the reserve list for a long time because of the way that it's structurally put together. They're going to get pissed. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to be like, F this, I'm out of here. I'm going to go somewhere where I can hold a line quicker. So as before it was, 
like 10 years ago it was what regional airline will get me to upgrade the fastest so I can pick up PIC time to get to a main line as soon as possible. That was the goal. That was the matrix, right? Everybody yep. wanted those statistics. Then it became, well, hey, uh, the, everyone's got a flow through now. Okay. And everyone's pretty much quickly on the hiring or preferential hiring. So what next? Okay, well, who's going to pay me the most money? Who cares about the upgrade now? Who's going to pay me the most money? And as if I understand it, at Sandpiper, after how many years do you automatically get captain pay no matter what seat you hold? So that it's it's not that you hold the seat. It's that you get, um, if you're at Sandpiper and you elect to flow, and you don't flow by the end of your fifth year going into your sixth year, you get bumped up to 20 year captain's pay. So with, with Sandpiper, you have to, part of the, the flow requirements is to upgrade. Okay. So you have to upgrade. Okay. Once you hit that, the end of your fifth year, and if you haven't flown, flown over to American, uh-huh. sorry, flown over to legacy airlines, the compensation for that is that they bump you from six-year captain pay to 20-year captain pay to say, hey, we're sorry while this goes on. And you go from making, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $160, $170 an hour to $240 an hour. Wow. Okay. So big pay bump is an incentive for the company to honor their commitment to flow you. Yeah. And, and, and to keep you so that you're like, well, shit, I could have gone to, to Delta, but I was going to stay to flow to go to, yeah. to legacy. So it's all psyops. It's all psyops oh, yeah. for the, Oh, it's hundred percent. Yeah. But here's the problem. So, what about those pilots that, you know, the, he or she may have gone to Sandpiper as a direct entry captain and they get sick and tired of being on reserve forever and watching these FOs that they've flown with now be more senior to them as captains. That's going to be a psychological issue. And a lot of those captains are probably going to say, I was hard on this FO and now they're yeah. my captain. Cause I saw well, that I lived through this where it was called the flow back flow through with the post nine yeah. 11 flow back procedure that they had at Sandpiper. And it was ugly. I mean, we had, uh, you know, after the expiration of the flow back flow through agreement, which then w- went into mediation and was resolved. But for a time there, there were captains that treated their FOs like crap because they were yep. pissed that they had to elect to go back to a regional airline from a mainline carrier after 9-11 in lieu of furlough. And they were kind of assholes. And then all of a sudden now they're FOs again because they were like, well, you can't hold captain anymore if the agreement's not there. And they were in the right seat and the and the FOs that they were displacing for 14 years were in the left seat and it got ugly really quick. A lot of... Uh, so, so for us, it, we won't see that flow back where they're not going to hold the captain's seat, right? They're, they're going to be a captain, you know, as long as they can be at the airline. The, the thing that I see that happens with them is that I see that most of the guys that I meet, and I'm, I'm using you as an example, you just hit 50. Or you're close to 50, right? A couple years, yeah. So they're your age, if not a little older, coming to work at Sandpiper. Oh. And that's the thing. So they're older. They're already kind of accepting that this may be their last hurrah. And if they can possibly get that flow over to Legacy, then cool. If not, they're accepting staying at Sandpiper and doing Sandpiper fly. Mm -hmm. Most of them. There's a few 
guys that I met that are like, nah, I'm just, I'm just here as another stepping stone. I'm like, bro, you're like 55, like good luck. Well, for now, because you know, if Congress passes their, their, their new regulation to add push to 67, I don't think that age 70 will be too far behind that. Um, I really think that's going to happen. Uh, I yep. know I've been saying that for years, but you know, there's oh, you, always something. You put the thing on the show that said, mark my words. We'll have it. I forget how long yeah, you said put it, it in the book. We'll have it. We yeah. will have it. I think we will have it. And I think we'll have it uh, in the next few years at, at, at the worst uh, or yeah. you know, at the most. Um, and not that there's, there's, there's some legal ramifications to extending the 65 with international flying and they're trying to iron all that stuff out. But um, I, I do think that that's going to happen. And, but it's a band-aid, Tony, and we know this because we watched it happen with the age uh, 65 rule. It's a band-aid to the solution. Right, it's it kicks a- the can down, this, down the, the street a little bit further for somebody else to have to deal with it, yes. But also, I think it has a lot to do with Social Security. Because yeah. when, when do you start collecting your full Social Security benefits and Medicaid and Medicare and all that stuff? So I think it's not just the aviation industry, but the entire country. We were seeing riots happening in France over extending retirement, a mandatory retirement age to two more years, meaning people have to work two more years to get their full pension from that socialist country. And, you know, people go, wait a minute, <laughs> I didn't expect to work past 55. You make me work at 57 now? What the? So whatever it yeah. is, I'm not. I'm not too up on the the media on that, but um, yeah, it's 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 created riots in those countries, in the streets about extending. But for us, it's just an airline industry. But I think that's the stepping stone in terms of how the government looks at it for all these other benefits because we're a bankrupt country. Let's let's not mince words. We have we owe more in debt, and we keep extending the debt limit further and further down the road. It's not the way to run your home. Why would you run your country that way? But I'm what, who am I? I'm no expert. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started on that. That's a completely different subtopic. That's not aviation related. And I don't even go down that, that road of, uh, you know, that. Exactly. And just to be, just to be absolutely clear, the views and comments expressed in this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of any of our employers or anyone, any association we are associated with. Furthermore, we are not experts and any decisions made by suggestions made on this podcast are at your own risk in those of your own. (laughs) Right. I mean, at the end of the day though, like all this stuff that they're doing right now is band-aids for the solution of getting more pilots in the door. And the, really, that's really what it is, is it's a bandaid to the solution. It's not a, it's not a fix. It's not a solve. It's, it's like you said, kicking the cow further down the road so that, well, in four more years or five more years, it's that person's job to deal with it. Not mine. Like this is a job for future Alex, not current Alex. Right. Future Alex will deal with this. Right. Kicking the can is, is the American way. Um, so. but, but speaking of, you know, we've, we've talked about the quality of life and how yours has improved. We've talked about how, you know, you're starting to really get a footing on how wonderful this career can be now that you're not having to commute anymore. We've always said this, mm-hmm. that there's three aspects to this job. There's three levels. There's the new hire on reserve on call commuting is a second level versus not commuting. And the third is being senior, whatever seat you're in, having an, a beautiful line, not commuting. I mean, it's just the tip of the 
the the tier, you know. So you're there yeah. and congratulations. Any idea on when you're going to upgrade? So I'm sitting at like 500-ish hours right now. You obviously need 950 because you'll get your 50 hours of uh what have you in simulator while you're doing, in IOE, yeah. um, right. the sims and uh, uh ioe right? right right but i'm looking at um within the next couple months i've been talking to one of my buddies who's in recruiting at uh sandpiper mm-hmm. and i may go sit in the office for six months are you do a special she, assignment uh yeah a special assignment to recruiting oh that'd be wonderful and part of the reason is, is because of this podcast Mm. You know, I want to be able to reach out and talk to the touch those fellow uh, future fellow aviators, future fellow first officers, future fellow captains and, and, you know, get them to to consider us. My name is Dewey Finn. And no, I'm not a licensed teacher, but I have been touched by your kids. And I'm pretty sure I've touched them. So part of that was your doing. So thank you for inspiring me on that. I'm also going to try to push the podcast while I'm in recruiting as much as I can, because, Hey, it is a good piece of, uh, of advice and, and, and listening for that transition. And that's, I've talked about this a thousand times on the show already. There was nothing when I was looking for podcasts that really hit that niche of going from the CFI world into this world. Yeah. And your show is that. Thank you. Um, Thank you very so much. I, I know. I know. I always say that you're one of my biggest uh, mentors and inspirations, but you are. You helped kind of shape and transition me into uh, the airline pilot that I am today. So without this show. I wouldn't be where I am. So thank you again. And I will continue to forever. Thank you because you stand on the aviator's shoulders before you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, so, and thank you for saying that too. I, I'm honored to to have you say such nice things and feel such, you know, uh, respect for what this podcast does. And, you know, I, I know that you are a man of your word because I was flying with a captain recently last week or the week before and so, you know, you, you meet each other, you talk and you, you break the ice immediately, you t- tear down that wall of communication of the awkwardness yep. of not knowing the pilot next to you. And, you know, you, you, you kind of be lighthearted and, and you're just, you make a little joke. And then after we get settled and I kind of see what the tone is and I whip out my little, you know, squawk, ident promotional cards. And I go, Oh, by the way, just full disclosure, I'm, I'm this guy. And I had a captain grab it. He goes, Oh my God, you're, that's you. I know, I know this. I have one of these cards. I'm like, you do? He goes, yeah, I had a guy in my jump seat like last week. One of your, one of your co-hosts. What's his name? I think it's Alex. I'm like, oh yeah, he must have been commuting. He must have been one of your last commutes or something. But yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, so it's it's really cool. This is a very small industry. It's a small world. Um, always be kind and take care of each other. And absolutely, you know, all, I appreciate all your efforts as well, Alex. And we'll be right back. Now, the number one most violated FAR. Can you take a guess? What do you think? Um, well, let's see. How about... Oh, geez. I don't know. I don't know. There's a ton. Well... Uh, <laughs> There's but... a ton that get violated on a daily basis, I'm sure. Yes. But uh, in terms of 
And just to kind of give you a little hint here in terms of airline industry, right? So now as a private pilot or- You must, you must be talking about sterile cockpit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we're all guilty of this. There's not a, there's not a pilot on this God given earth that has not broken sterile cockpit, but a lot of people don't really understand what that means. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because I had an experience with my recurrent flight training. Um, and, and a lot of my friends that are here at the airline said, why are you going to your first officer RQ recurrent qualification? you're going to be in class like literally three weeks later for your upgrade. Why go through that agony of having to go through the training center right before? And here at Legacy, we're doing 12-month cycles for recurrent. So every 12 months, you're back in the schoolhouse, you're back in the box, and you're doing your maneuvers validation, you're doing your V1 cuts, your stalls, your, your you know, single-engine approaches, single-engine lands, single-engine go-arounds, you're doing your GPS approaches, your VOR approaches, your your non-coupled, uh, no autopilot approaches versus, you know, and then you're doing your non-normals, your emergency situations, you're doing your LOE, your line uh, operating experience, which is supposed to be conducted like a normal flight. Yes, we did one of those. We had to divert um, because we had a green system hydraulic pump over temperature uh, ECAM message. So yeah, we had to run through that. Um, and there's a lot of gotchas, like they're trying to make sure you're paying attention. And if you just read the gouge, as we talked about in the last episode, you know, that'll give you kind of a heads up. But if you don't, if you don't go down the right path, you can get in the weeds with some of these uh, QRHs, Q, uh, quick reference handbook procedures. So, uh, and, and that was something that we were kind of ready for, but also, you know, the scenario makes sure that you kind of get in the weeds a little bit and can you get out of it? And so we had all that, and my captain was fantastic. And yes, I've used that word quite a bit this show, because I, I'm feeling the love, man. Uh, Mr. Greg Jones was with me uh, as my sim partner, and we had flown together just a few weeks ago. He's been on the podcast before. If you want to look up the Leadership Toolbox, wonderful episode. Um, his experience and professionalism is absolutely you know, top-notch. So we knew each other, we got together, we studied, and we just had a really good time in our experience. Now this year, they did something a little different. Because the training center at headquarters is inundated with new hires, upgrades, transition, all this stuff, they can't keep up. So they've reopened training centers from previously acquired airlines. There's one in Charlotte that they closed for a short period of time, and they said, what the heck are you doing? Reopen that stuff. We, we, we're not going to meet our numbers. So they reopened that training center. So some of the pilots from the East Coast are now, instead of going to DFW for their training, are going into Charlotte for their training. And they just now reacquired the training center that used to be in Phoenix. Now, they closed the training center. It was purchased by CAE. They bought the simulator in the building. And now Legacy Airlines has now contracted out for two years that anyone from Phoenix or Los Angeles bases will now do their recurrent training in Phoenix because they have two uh, Airbus sims there. Now, I was very fortunate. I got to go to Phoenix and because LA-based, and it was an interesting experience. Uh, it was much more quaint. We, we all stayed in one classroom. We didn't have to do the whole, or, where's the next classroom for the next class? And 
Do you have a map of the building? Because, I mean, the place is, Dallas is crazy big, that building. So it was nice. It was, you know, they had free coffee. I love that. Free coffee. You know, had it on drip. It was good. Um, and, uh, and the whole experience was positive. But what I want to talk about is my LOE experience. Now, on day three of the simulator, when you're doing recurrent training, um, you start off with a briefing the last couple hours. You go into the simulator, into the box, and you do two hours of an LOE experience, which the sim instructor or the check airman that's back there, they're not to give you any kind of instruction. All they're there is to act as ATC, act as the flight attendant, act as your dispatcher, act as the you know weather reporting. Whatever you need for a flight, that's what they're doing, and they're controlling the sim. And they tell you, okay, you're in Mexico City, and you're doing a conducting flight so-and-so to Dallas-Fort Worth, and here's your numbers, here's your paperwork. You've got about 20 minutes to be out on time. And so you, know, you get to the airplane, you're doing your pre-flight, you do all your checks, you give your briefing, you get ready to push off the gate, you get your taxi instructions, and intentionally, it's, there's, there are traps in here, right? There was a mistake in the paperwork. They changed the runway assignment on us after we pushed off the gate. We read the gouge. We were expecting this. But when you're in the box and your heightened sense of awareness and your laser focus can sometimes be a problem because you're so focused and, and trigger ready uh, that you're missing out on the big picture sometimes. So you have to just take a breath, calm down. So a lot of people can make mistakes when it comes to these traps, even if you were expecting them. Um, but we, we were able to work through it all. Oh, they changed the runway assignment. That means we have a different departure. So let me call ATC and query to clarify. And that was great. And I knew to do that one, because that's the right thing to do. And two, because I was prepared from reading it from the gout. And so we were taxing out and we're doing everything like we do on the line, you know, clear, right, clear left. Okay. They told us to hold short. And he goes, yep, I'm holding short. Okay. All right, now they're told us to cross. Okay, and we've got to go. You're going to make about a 45 degree turn here. He goes, yep, okay, I see it. Okay, and all right, now, okay, we're going to come here. All right, do we have the numbers? Do we have everything? Yes, we do. So this is us. We've, Greg and I have flown together many times, and I think our communication is probably 10 out of 10. It's, it's very comfortable with him. He's very comfortable with me. And as we took the runway, they told us, you know, Contact departure airborne, you're clear for takeoff and clear for takeoff. So start the timer and, and Greg <laughs> looks over and goes, All right, let's get out of Mexico. Set thrust or, you know, flex or toga or whatever, whatever it was, you know, set toga. And I look over and I, I kind of chuckle and I go, uh, Thrust set. And so we, we take off or climbing out. And then he's like, You know what? Ask them about this. You know, or, or, let's see if we can get there. Then they cleared us direct. Well, in Mexico, when they clear you direct, you have to clarify. Do you mean present position direct? Or do you mean, you know, you're cleared to so-and-so fix? Does that mean fly now I'm only cleared to that fix? So I queried. I said, do you mean present position cleared direct to that fix? They're like, yes, yes. Okay, fine. So we get there. We're doing the whole drift down things in the secondary flight plan. Because, you know, that's mountainous terrain. So in case you lose an engine, you have to be prepared. You have all your waypoints in there. We, we read the gouge. We're ready. And even if we didn't, it's the right thing to do. We conducted the flight. We got this emergency or non-normal procedure with the green hydraulic pump. Uh, we elected to go down a road where we manually extended the gear, all that kind of stuff. But the trap there was with a 
particular MEL that the aircraft had on the paperwork, if you get into the point where you get this particular failure, it causes multiple small failures in the aircraft to the point where if you're trying to do a Cat 3 approach, this is a zero visibility approach and landing with the autopilot landing the aircraft, you have to have certain conditions met because now you go from a, a Cat 3 dual approach to a Cat 3 single approach. So it changes the requirements of what you need. When you read the ATIS at DFW that they send through the printer in the simulator and you read it, the weather minima meet the Cat 3 minima and you can do it. However, the very last line in the ATIS said, Touchdown zone RVR inoperative. And when you're doing a Cat 3 single, you cannot substitute touchdown zone RVR. Must be present. So I look over at the captain, wink, wink, right at the couch. And I said, uh, well, according to the ATIS, Captain, uh, there's no touchdown zone um, RVR, so we are not qualified. Uh, we no longer qualify to do a Cat 3 single. I think we need to divert to our alternate, which is San Antonio, which through the magic of simulation, we were flying right over at the time. And the instructor's job is to give you the traps. And they keep saying, all right, you're clear. Descend via, you need to expedite descent. You're descending to Dallas. And I said, Captain, do you want me to tell him we're going to our alternate and tell dispatch? And he's, because he's still kind of reading through the minutia of this very long list of things we have to do before we land. And he's like, yeah, you're, you know, you're playing your radio anyway. Go, go ahead and, and do that. I'm like, okay, fine. So tell me, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to land in Dallas. We need to land in San Antonio as our alternate and because of the weather. And he goes, okay, fine. So he's giving me like this expedited descent circling onto a final approach for San Antonio. And, uh, <laughs> And, you know, we're, I'm like, okay, slow down the airplane, go ahead and extend the gear. We're going through that procedure. We get on the ground and the sim stops after we set the parking brake. And he goes, congratulations, gentlemen, you're, you passed. And we're thinking, Phew. even though we were prepared for all of it, that was a lot. That was a lot. You're just, we've talked about this before. You're just, you're so laser focused. You're, you're so like Johnny on the spot with all the, checklist and everything and when you land just that parking brake is set and they go congratulations you passed and you're like oh brain dead brain dead so we took like a 10 minute break and we came back to do uh, what's called rad and it's like uh basically like control flight into terrain avoidance uh the tcas stuff you know uh, the wind shear training it's all training and um, so we did, we went through that and I kind of got into a brain fog for a minute too uh, on one of them. He failed like a FADEC on the number one engine at 60 knots and I'm looking over at the ECAM and I'm looking at it going, 80, like nothing's wrong. <laughs> and then he goes, wait, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Tony, you're looking right at it. I'm like, dude, I'm still, I, I still <laughs> I need a minute. Man. <laughs> so fine, no big deal. Um, but at the end of it, he, he, the instructor wrote on the bulletin board uh, in the debrief room, things we did well and things we need to work on. And so after the end of it, he goes, congratulations, gentlemen, you're all done. Uh, 
go ahead, go in the debrief room. It's just going to take about 10 minutes. I have an exercise for you on the board. Could you please fill it out? Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. So we go in there and we're all happy and proud of ourselves. We're like, yeah, we did a good job. Yeah, we're a good team. And on the bulletin board, he pre-filled out one thing, which was in big, bold letters, sterile cockpit. Why so serious? We're like, what's that show? Like, did we, did we break the sterile cockpit during our LOE? Obviously, because he wrote that down. So, you know, we filled out a few things and we were talking and he was very cordial. And then all of a sudden, Greg got upset and he goes, listen, uh, why did you write sterile cockpit and the instructor just his body language completely morphed and he got upset and his tone changed and he goes listen the number one violation is sterile cockpit and this is what's going to happen you know everyone and then he goes everyone breaks sterile cockpit he goes during sterile cockpit you read the checklist you read your call outs and that's it from the time the parking brake is released and you're moving on the ground till 10,000 feet it's sterile cockpit. The last thousand foot of any elevation change is sterile cockpit. You're holding sterile cockpit. He goes, everyone violates this. And the FAA is going to crack down on this. And here's what's going to happen. You break sterile cockpit. You're talking about stuff you shouldn't be talking about. And you land the airplane and some fueler clips your wing, catches fire. Two people die. You egress. Sure, you're going to pass all your drug tests and all that stuff. But they're going to pull those voice recorders. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to violate both of you guys for breaking sterile cockpit. They're going to throw the book at you, and the company and your union is not going to back you up because it's intentional noncompliance. And we're just sitting there going, what the f***? What are you? Like, we weren't joking around. We weren't telling jokes or talking about, you know, anything other than the flight. And Greg got a little upset, and I don't blame him. And at the end of it, we, we all came to terms with the fact that we all kind of disagreed <laughs> a little bit with each other because we were all at different levels, you know. Um, and at the end of it, I was like, um, can we talk about the other stuff on the board? I'm just trying to change the subject. And, uh, and it was, it was a, not a perfect scenario. And there was a conflict of interest there, or a conflict that, that was a little uncomfortable because we disagreed on what sterile cockpit is. So I wanted to talk about that today. Because you might f- come into a scenario like this. And as a former Czech Airman myself, I understand that that is the number one thing we break. According to the uh, NASA.gov, sterile cockpit is it's, it's one of the most broken things. Uh, an article I'll put in the show notes from Robert Sumwalt. It's no secret that when flight crew's attention is diverted from the task of flying, the chances of error increase. Over the years, there have been dozens of air carrier accidents that occurred when the crew diverted attention from the task at hand and became occupied with items totally unrelated to flying. Consequently, important things were missed. Things like setting flaps prior to takeoff or extending the landing gear before landing. Things like monitoring altitude on an instrument approach or using engine anti-ice before takeoff in a blinding snowstorm. In 1981, the FAA enacted FAR 121.542 and FAR 135.100 to help curb the number of these incidents. Commonly known as the sterile cockpit rule, 
These regulations specifically prohibit crew members' performance of non-essential duties or activities while the aircraft is involved in taxiing, takeoff, landing, and all other flight operations conducted below 10,000 feet MSL, except cruise flight. It's unrealistic to expect a flight crew to fly together for several days and never discuss anything except items related to flying the aircraft. In fact, experts have demonstrated that in order to be most efficient, crews need to talk, even if it's just merely get-to-know-you sort of chat. The sterile cockpit rule is a good rule, and because it clearly defines when it's time to set aside non-essential activities and tend strictly to the task at hand, that of safety operating the aircraft. In spite of existence of the sterile cockpit rule, over the past decade, pilots have continued to have accidents and serious incidents that perhaps could have been prevented. For the most part, disobeying the rule is not intentional. It just happens. But as this review shows, the consequences of non-compliance can be very serious. Truly, the sterile cockpit needs to be cleaned up. This reviewer used the ASRS database to find specific examples of problems related to noncompliance with the sterile cockpit rule. We carefully reviewed 63 reports that have been previously coded by analysis as having some relevance to the sterile cockpit rule. Here is a synopsis of the problems that we found that could be attributed to sterile cockpit violations. So, the article again i'll put it in the show notes it's 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 a very serious thing yeah there are those that you fly with which you go hey so you know you're at climbing through 8000 feet on your way up to 30000 feet and you're like oh did you see that uh, game last night or something and they'll go uh star cockpit uh, wait wait till 10000 you know something or wait till 18 i mean wh- what is it at transglobal is it still 18 over there company policy no no, it's 10. It's still 10? Okay, because I know there was a time I was commuting on Transglobal a lot to go to Chicago, and, and I think it was pre-merger with one of their other carriers. Um, it was 18,000 company policy, not 10. Um, so as a jump seater, you had to know that, respect that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the most violated. I'm guilty of it like all the time, and I have to remind myself constantly and get to know who I'm flying with because... The check airman was not wrong that I had for my recurrent qualification. If something were to happen, no fault of our own, I mean, we're perfectly safe, we're doing everything right, but if something were to happen and now they pull the CBR or they pull your cell phone records or they pull your emails and text messages and find out that you were texting as an FO, you were texting your girlfriend after landing, uh, telling her, hey, honey, I'll be home in a few hours. You... if something happens, you're putting yourself at risk. And the question is, are you willing to take that risk? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, have, I have a little bit of heartburn with some of it. Like, so, you know, when you go to interview at these airlines, one of the number one things that they look out for is, can I go on a four-day trip? with this person and not want to kill them by the end of it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And, and so, you know, when you are, I'll I'll just, I'll give an example. Um, One of my last few trips, uh, I was flying with a captain 
Uh, very qualified captain. I'm not going to go into his qualifications, but let's just say that uh, been with the company for a long time and, and has, has worked with the training department as, as well. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but we're taxiing out. It's one of the first legs of the trip. And, uh, you know, we're both, we're in a long straightaway taxiway and we're both heads up. And he asked me a question and I, I don't even remember what the question was, it, but it wasn't directly related to the taxing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Am I going to look over at him and say, captain word, sterile asshole. <laughs> that, that is going to set a tone for the rest of that four day trip where uh, <laughs> it's not going to be a very nice tone, no. right? You're putting up barriers so, of communication, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, I answered his question because there was no threat. I'm heads out. It was a short, you know, three or four word answer to the question. Right. And we're done. And we're outside the whole time. We're taxiing the aircraft the whole time. There, there's no threat. So I think there's got to be a balance, right? Um, yeah. You know, you have to take and and me being probationary, right, with this very senior captain, uh, who's uh, you know we still have a thing here. I don't know if you guys do it, but probationary pilot reports, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. So if you are in your first year, a captain's supposed to write a probationary pilot report for you, and and most of them will do it once a trip, but they're really supposed to do it after every flight. Oh. Um, okay. And. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so am I going to piss this guy off on day one, leg one, and have him write me a probationary pilot report that's less than stellar because I was a jerk? Uh, Or, you know, am I going to, you know, answer his question because, you know, I can can make a very quick assessment in my head. There's no threat. We're heads out. Everything's okay. There's nobody around. There's not a single other airplane moving on the surface of the airport. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I think, yes, I, I, you know, when it comes to uh, safely operating in the airplane uh, and, and adhering to sterile cockpit, I, I would say I'm probably 99%. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's, there's some things you just got to, you got to apply a little common sense sometimes, you know, like, Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, and very well said that because there is a reality there that it doesn't matter. Any NTSB board is going to be made up of multiple professionals, accident investigators that have seen pretty much everything, right? Seen things and read things and viewed images and videos and been in accident scenes that are pretty harsh realities to the dangers of what we do. So yeah, I can understand how one or two of those board members might want to throw the book at you for in what we like to call intentional non-compliance over at Legacy, meaning I, I intentionally knew that there was a rule and I intentionally broke it. And they see that as a zero tolerance action. So some Check airmen, instructors, captains, crew members will take that as 
the rule is in black and white and there is no gray area. Most of those board members or most of those captains and check airmen will look at the rules and go, okay, look, we live in the, the real world and the reality that we live in, we live in the gray area, the ether that, that exists between the lines of the script and the FAR. So they'll look at it and go, well, you know, was that really an intentional noncompliance or was that more of a, hey, I'm human and I'm interacting and I'm, I'm making sure communication is right and I'm not being an asshole or rude. And, you know, and there are ways. And they'll ask you a lot of times in interviews. So you're with the captain. This is the most famous interview question for an airline and an aviation career. So the captain is taking the aircraft below minimums. And you say, uh, no contact, go around. And the captain goes, no, no, I got this. And he's taking it. What do you do? And yeah, tell ATC, we're going around. Now, if the captain elects to land the aircraft, there's not much you can do, right? You're not going to hit the captain. You're not going to say, my aircraft at 150 feet off the ground. You're not going to do that. That's what they don't want to hear you say. You know, Mr. Machismo, I'm the hero. They want to see you. What legal action are you going to take? I'm going to, hey, I told the captain on the CBR to go around. I told ATC we're going around. Now he's the one in intentional noncompliance. Okay. And if, and if anything bad happens, it's on that person. Um, so it's the same thing with these FARs. Now, sterile cockpit is the most violated one because everyone does it every flight. Yeah, a- absolutely. Let, let me ask you this. So you've been to Chicago many times. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember I was there last month taxiing out. You know where, where the transglobal guys are on the airfield. Oh, yeah. And they give us a, uh, a taxi that takes us. We're going taking off 2-2 left. And they give us a taxi that takes us all the way around the north side of the airport down the uh, the east side of the airport all the way down to 22 left, right? Okay. So I call it the tour of Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, so they give us that taxi route. You know, we're not sure if they're going to let us go south and, and uh, take the, uh, the shorter taxi or if they're going to take us all the way around. Of course, they take us all the way around to the north side. And this is just taxiing to get to the runway for takeoff, right? Yeah. So they give us that clearance. And I make a joke to my captain. I say, oh, geez, they're giving us the tour of Chicago again. Am I breaking sterile cockpit? That was a joke, right? I read the clearance back to the (laughs) controller, but I'm making a joke, kind of. Yeah. Is that, am I breaking sterile? I mean, you know, you got to apply a little common sense. It depends on who you talk to. You know, you have that Czech airman that... His, his tie is so tight that his neck is red, and he might say, yeah. Um, that's been coming up a lot, and I, I actually saw that in RQ. So we've changed the way we do things at Legacy Airlines uh, probably within the last year, that we're doing this fleet harmonization, meaning it doesn't matter if you're an Airbus or a Boeing or what, what are you. It doesn't matter. They're trying to make the flows, the callouts all the same, no matter what airplane you're flying. And that way, when you transition from fleet to fleet, you're not having to relearn a whole new airplane and a whole new script. You're just learning the airplane and the systems. So that has created 
a lot of back and forth. And there are many pilots that are not happy with this because it kind of, there's a couple negative aspects to this that I've noticed myself. Uh, one of those is that the non flying pilot does the PAs and call outs and things that normally the captain would do. And then the, the pilot flying then uses the manipulation of lights and stuff where in the past only the captain did that. So the example I'm talking about is prepare for landing, right? So now the pilot flying dings at 10,000 feet M or AGL or above field level AFL. Um, at 10,000 feet AFL, they ding to let the flight attendants know prepare for landing. But the captain or the, not, or the pilot monitoring in, in my scenario, um, they're the ones that make the PA. And they're supposed to say, flight attendants, prepare for landing. That's the script. Okay? What the Czech Airmen and the FAA and all of those others that are in charge of monitoring the efficiency and the compliance of our operation are saying is, you must say, flight attendants, prepare for landing, and nothing else. No please, no thank you, no ladies and gentlemen, we'll be landing soon, flight attendants, prepare, nothing, nothing, only the words, verbatim, exclamation point, punctuation, everything must be verbatim. And they're trying to do that to have consistency because the logic behind it is if it's a required PA, if it's a required call out, it should be those words and nothing else because it's required. Now, if you're given a PA about, ladies and gentlemen, off the left-hand side of the airplane, you can see a big smoking hole in the ground. Good afternoon. This is your captain speaking with just a little flight information. Coming up on the left, we're going to be catching a glimpse of the Grand Canyon. On the right, you can be able to see the Hoover Dam in just a few minutes. We're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet, and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here. I'm packing a Colt King Cobra. That's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a six-inch barrel. Also, the co-pilot is carrying a Kimber Custom Defense pistol with all the bells and whistles you'd expect from a custom gun of that kind with an alloy frame and bevel treatment on the entire gun. And our chief flight attendant, Roger, has a Ruger Bearcat 22 with a hand-fluted cylinder. All three are capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet, and it can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is coming up on the left-hand side of the plane, so just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the flight. Okay, so uh, <laughs> we all know that one. Uh, so the, it has to be verbatim. And any violation of that is a violation of standard operating procedures. Same thing applies. Are you telling me that if I say the word thank you, you can violate me? And that's, that's the debate. It's like, really? Are we this? Are we this? hung up on these regulations that if you say thank you at the end of it, flight attendants, uh, please prepare for, or would you please prepare for landing? No. Please. Don't say the word please. It's not in the script. Flight attendants, prepare for landing. Don't say please. It's not in the script. I've had multiple pilots tell me that. Uh, please, you know, when you say that, you're not supposed to say please, just because the check airman might ding you on that, or the FA might ding you on that. Really? Yes, really. There are those out there that will ding you on that kind of thing. 
um, checklist, same thing. Read the checklist. And I am kind of a, everybody knows me, I'm kind of aloof, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep things lighthearted. If, when I get serious, I get quiet and I get serious and then be careful because something major is happening, I'm paying attention, I'm laser focused. But if I'm just like chill, pretty laid back, because I like to break down those barriers of communication and make people feel at ease when they're around me. But that can also be construed as when you're operating the aircraft. I agree with you on that. A no-no. Like there are times where we're talking or whatever. And then like either the captain or me will say like, Hey, Oh, this, you know, like, Oh, remind me when we get up to altitude, we'll talk about that. Or, Oh, let's talk about that when we get up to altitude. Cause like, you know, especially going out of DFW, if you're flying, you're parked on the West side, like we do. And we get a uh, departure on the West side. It's short taxi. Yeah. You know, it's so, busy. you know, we'll, we'll, it just, it's situational dependent in my opinion. Like, don't get me wrong. I agree with the sterile cockpit rule. I do think that the, the necessary conversations need to happen. The unnecessary conversations can wait till, you know, 10,000 feet. And let's be honest. 10,000 feet takes what? Five, maybe five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So you can't shut your mouth for five minutes or less on a takeoff to climb. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, or really, the taxi out, that, you know, add the taxi out, which is another 15 minutes. And then, yeah. you know, you get to, but there's always a chance to like, if you think of something and go, Oh, squirrel, I got an idea. Or, Oh, I just thought of a joke or, Oh, I got a scenario. I, I want to be funny and witty. And so I better tell this before you open your mouth on the ground or in the initial climb or on the final descent, think what I, I always have a notepad in front of me always. Okay. A scratch paper. I usually recycle old flight plans and old scratch papers and old junk mail even. So what I'll do is I'll cut it in half and I use that on my tray table and I write all the taxi instructions and notes. And then before we take off, I stow it. And after we take off, I pull it back out. I love that tray table. And it's because I write down stuff all the time. Yeah. uh, Someday you'll figure it out. And so (laughs) what I'll do is I'll have that that squirrel moment. Go, oh, squirrel. And I think of something. And I'm sitting there and I I just write down a sentence real quick. And then the captain looks over like, what is he writing? I'll go, uh, remind me, I'm going to talk to you about, I want to tell you the story. And they'll go, oh, okay. And that's, you know, during sterile or during the initial climb out or during yeah. a high workload environment. And that way I am not as tempted to break sterile cockpit or have extra conversation that's not related to the flight until we get to cruise and the autopilot's coupled and we got nothing to do for two and a half hours, whatever, you know? And then I'll yeah. go, oh yeah, I wrote this down. Let me hey, you want to hear a story about this? Or, hey, and then sometimes I ask questions too. And I'll write down a question. And that way, you know, I have something to talk about with this person sitting next to me and maybe get to know them. And maybe they're interested in what we do. And maybe they'll come on the show or or not, but whatever. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. But no, it's, I agree. The biggest thing with that is definitely read the room. Read your, read your, read your fellow pilot is really what it boils down to. Yes, yes, yes. Like, you know, if you're getting, if you're getting, uh, okay, cool. Um, sorry, that was, uh, our furniture. I'm getting my gun safe delivered today. Nice. So, um, read, read your fellow pilot at the end of the day, you know, kind of get that, that idea of who they are. Cause 
90% of them will be that, like, I wouldn't say chatty Kathy, but they'll talk when sterile, it, you know, they'll talk outside of sterile and, or they'll talk inside of sterile. Is that the correct terminology? Yeah. So they'll talk inside of sterile and, you know, it's, I, I'm guilty of it. I know you are because I've flown with you and we've done it inside of sterile. Um, that like it happens at times. It, it's going to happen. You're a human. You're going to have conversations, you know, and it's just basically read the room. Yeah. You know, don't, 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 don't go, you know, one extreme or the other. But at the end of the day, uh, I know that this is kind of how I, how I did hiring and looking at fellow pilots in, in the CFI realm. Could I see having a beer with you outside of work? And that's generally how most people look at getting hired at an airline right. is, are, are you an asshole? You know, are you going to say exactly what you said? I'm sorry, sterile cockpit. Shut up. Yeah, we're 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 we're, we're in sterile. Shut up. Are you going to say that? No, <laughs> maybe. What? <laughs> uh, couple captains that I've wanted to say that too. Yeah. But, um, are you going to say that? Probably not. Are you going to say something along the lines of that leading? Oh, hey, this would be awesome. Like, I want to hear about that. But let, tell me up at altitude. Tell me a cruise. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh... We, we, we go through our iterations of that here too. Um, so uh, my training partner is another first officer uh, who uh, he's coming off long-term disability. So uh, he's been in the airplane before, but um, a lot of the procedures has cha- have changed since he's been out. And so, you know, we're playing the part of captain, we're playing the part of first officer. And one of the things in our checklist, like the last item on our, uh, pre-flight checklist is MRD, which is our maintenance release document. Okay. MRD and the verbiage is MRD and the response is checked on board. It's not checked and on board. It's checked on board. And day one, plane captain, checked and on board. No, no, it's checked on board. Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, whatever. I, I mean, it's, uh, I'll, I'll do it their way. Yeah. It's, they're, they're the employer, right? I'll, I'll do it their way. It's just some things are like, really, you're going to get hung up because I threw in an and? It, it is technically speaking correct English to say, yes, the MRD is checked and is on board. Check on board. Huh? Okay. Yeah. So fair enough. Here's I'll do it your way. <laughs> and you just, I think you just nailed the show title. And this is something that I was taught 20 years ago. My very first long-term training. Cooperate and graduate. Yep. Can't say that yep. with enough bold black letters. Cooperate and graduate. And uh, Greg and I had this conversation days after our event because we, we were both home in our respective homes and, and you know, he texted me and we went back and forth with the issues that we had uh, in the training department with a Czech Airman who was adamant that we were breaking sterile cockpit. And we disagreed with him uh, and we said, hey, well, we weren't talking about anything other than the flight at hand and taxiing and 
we were we had great communication. We thought we were doing great. And check him and disagree because of that. We were saying and and is and please and think and he did not like that at all. It irked him. It irked him to no end. And it came out in his body language and his the way he was debriefing us. Um, and we had a problem with it. And Greg voiced his opinion, and I kind of just sat there, my popcorn, you know, just watching the show. And uh, and I and I tried to de-escalate best I could without sounding like a you know a putz. It's like, so can we talk about the other stuff? <laughs> and uh, but you know, are you going to go to the mat for this kind of stuff? Sometimes you just have to cooperate to graduate. Oh, thank you, sir. Yes, um, I'm going to work on that for next time. Thanks. And then you walk, yeah. you walk out of the training center, and you get on the van, and you go to the hotel, and you don't have to think about it again for another year. And you're yep. probably not going to get the same sim instructor, or you're probably not going to get the same training partner, or you're probably not going to get the same whatever. So, you know, you got to pick your battles. Yeah. You know, we... Uh there there's a lot to be said for for open communication right um you've got to create the environment where you have open communication in the cockpit or else you know that that could lead to you know we talk about uh you have talked about before on the podcast crm crew resource management and threat and error management right so we get these handy little cards. They let us hang on our, our ID badges here. Uh, and, and it's for our debrief, but, you know, CRM, TEM, skills, right? And Transglobal, they make a big point to point out that the one they put in the middle where everything is kind of sitting on top of and, and supporting below is communication, right? It's in the middle. Because without effective communication, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure, right? You're setting yourself up for, for, uh, for errors, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you don't create that positive, open communication uh, in the cockpit, you're setting yourself up for errors. So, so what's the right answer? You know, do you, yeah. do you just, Captain, we're in sterile, huh? or do you? You know, set the right tone for the flight, for the flight deck. So anyway. Yeah. I, and I find, I find the best course of action with that. And, and I'm guilty of it. And sometimes I'm the one that, that uses this term. You know, you're sitting there, you're taxing out and you're like, oh, can you believe the new contract? Can you believe it? we're going to sign this thing? Can you believe, can you believe? And you go, hey, yeah, that's, I, I'd like to talk to you about that. Let's talk about that in the air. Huh? Yeah. Oh. And that brings you back without going, ah, sterile. You know, it just it just says, hey, let's I'm interested in what you have to say, but let's talk about that in the air. That's the yeah, best absolutely. I think the best way to just kind of if one or the other is, you know, maybe chit chatting a little bit too much or they're excited to fly with you. I get that a lot. Um, you know, so you just have to go, you know, let's talk about that in the air. <laughs> Everybody wants to fly with you. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on, man. Yeah. You know, before we wrap it up, um, I wanted to say a special thank you to Captain Roger. Captain Roger has been on the road now for weeks. He has been flying that 650 around the globe. And he was very, very generous with us and sent us some audio feedback. And I want to play some of it for you 
now. Well, good morning, folks. From Captain Roger again, this time coming to you from Vienna, Austria. Um, it's going to be probably a shorter and a little bit less entertaining video because I did actually go outside this morning only to find out that uh, it's rather cold, wet, and raining. And so I just decided that, I, that, that this video was not worth standing out in the rain in order to do it. So I'm actually coming to you from the fifth floor of the Intercontinental Hotel in Vienna, hiding in my hotel room from the rain. This is actually our last day here where we're because then actually tonight we're going to be heading off to another destination. I won't spoil the surprise. You can tune in next time to find out where we are next. We're actually a few days in. We've been here for a few days, and I think, hopefully, maybe, stressing all of those words that I'm starting to acclimate to the time changes like the last time. It's been a rough a, a rough change in the circadian rhythm from the west coast to here where we're nine hours ahead of where where I normally am in San Diego um, so kind of completely on the back side of the clock it was a red-eye flight to come out here again we actually left right at midnight on a nine-hour flight from Tampa out here to Vienna but hopefully like I say I'm I've started to acclimate I woke up more at a normal time this morning right around 6 a.m. after sleeping for about eight hours again so, so that's a good thing one other thing that I learned kind of bite me in the rear end is international phone charges which I uh, knew had been an issue I guess maybe I hadn't been so much paying attention before and turning my cellular cellular off and only using Wi-Fi so basically I could I wouldn't have any wouldn't be able to text data, phone calls or anything from from outside of a Wi-Fi zone. Most restaurants where you eat have it. Hotel obviously has Wi-Fi and so it really wasn't that big of a deal. However, then I was at dinner last night when I got a text message from T-Mobile telling me that I had over $50 over the course of two days and international phone calls and I was like how in the world I told the guy I was with I was like how in the world is my phone ringing am I able to make phone calls when my cellular is turned off and he just kind of laughed and he could not figure out how in the world that was happening we actually tested it there it was off I showed him it was off and the phone call went through and his phone call to me went through when I then discovered that apparently if you have to put your your phone in airplane mode and that actually turns more cellular functions off. I don't know if there's a turning, if you click the cellular phone on, on an iPhone, you can simply turn the, maybe the mobile or the cellular data off, but it leaves the, the calling function alive. And then if actually, if you hit the airplane mode, then it turns an, an additional cellular function off in which I was then not able to make any phone calls. Uh, but that bit me in the rear end because now apparently I have upwards of $60 in two days, two days of phone calls. So I have that to look forward to on the next phone bill. So let this be a lesson to everybody. Make sure that you understand uh, not only what kind of international plans you have, but then um, 
what you're going to do to make sure, because even though I still was on the Wi-Fi, it still was actually using, um, not using Wi-Fi for the calling, I was still getting charged despite being in the hotel on Wi-Fi. Make sure that can't happen by turning everything off. Make sure you understand all that, or at least the consequences if you get it wrong. I think I'm gonna wrap this video up for now. There's not exactly a lot of interesting stuff going on out there out of this shot. I think I've shared about my uh, initial thoughts. And we're coming up on five minutes. I wanna say hi to everybody. I haven't been around in a while. It's been pretty busy, um, actually last month or so. Um, hopefully maybe in August, so it's gonna be a little slower for me, but hope everyone's well. And until then, fly safe. I hope to see you all again soon. Bye-bye. Well, again, thank you, Roger. Uh, that was a wonderful video, and I do appreciate you sending it to us. Um, you know, it really is nice to see how the other half live in aviation. Um, what do you say? The the Continental Hotel? Intercontinental. Intercontinental. Isn't that like where John Wick stays? I, would, I always think about that, too. Um, I believe it's just the Continental, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, I think I think he was staying where John. I think I think Roger might secretly be an assassin. Uh, you know, he might be a John a, Wick type. Is John Wick? Yeah, I think so. I think he might be. You know, using the whole part one thirty five flying as a cover. Um, it's just my personal opinion. Uh, Roger would never talk about it, and if he admitted it, he'd have to kill me. So I appreciate him not saying anything. So yeah, thanks, Roger. So, okay, a final thought before we wrap up the show here today. I've got to admit, this is my last trip as a first officer, knock on wood. Um, and last night was, uh, I guess, my last landing because it was my leg to land. And I have one more trip uh, today back into L.A. And uh, we had a pretty, you know, not gusty, but pretty windy crosswind uh, flying here in Philadelphia. They had some really bad storms that had ground stops in Philly for like hours and hours yesterday. And we were delayed. We had a ground stop out of, out of Phoenix to Philadelphia that we ended up, they lifted it. We got out and then after we took off, they added it again. It was because of the thunderstorms that were coming through. By the time we got in, the runway was relatively dry, and, but there was still some stormy weather around the airport. And I came in and I looked at the captain at about a thousand feet and I'm like, check out my crosswind technique. Hold my beer. Watch this. And he just kind of like was like, oh. he's like, oh, shit. And then he laughed. He realized I was joking around. But I came in in a beautiful crab and it was kind of gusty. So I was working the stick a little bit. And then I was able to straighten out the nose gear right on center line as uh, we're in a Neo. So we're in a nice three, new brand new 321 uh, NX version and right on center line real level good cross control in the flare so that we land perfectly straight and then a little bit of a wind came so i just barely lowered the right main landing gear so that i can have a little bit of a first the right gear then the left gear touches down it it makes for a smoother landing i have enough hours on a couple thousand hours three four thousand hours on the airplane i think total uh after five years of flying it and I'm good at these, right? I'm I'm pride myself on my crosswind landing technique. That's why I made the funny comment at a thousand feet, and it was gonna be great. And all of a sudden, the airplane just said, "F you!" 
and the captain was laughing out loud. And I'm like, damn it, son of a... And he goes, and that's your last landing. <laughs> I was like, shit, no, damn it. You know, and oh, God, I was... I was mad and like we were in the ride to the hotel and I was like damn that landing he's like bro he goes come on I'll buy your beer tonight let's not worry about it <laughs> forget it I'm like well you know I wanted to make the last one a better one he's like well you can land tomorrow and I say no it's your leg tomorrow it's fine I don't care I'm gonna be slamming them in when I'm in the left seat anyway because I can't do anything with my left hand <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's fine God, it's fine damn it I don't care <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, let me just say thank you to Terry and Alex for joining me today. We really do hope that you enjoyed our flight today. And we hope that you pay it forward by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. It really, truly does help when you like and subscribe or follow the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us emails to either through our website, or you can send us audio feedback. Just record a little something on your voice recorder on your phone, pop it in an email, or you can just go to aviatortony.com and click on the feedback link and you can send us a 90 second audio on that as well. That's aviatortony.com, Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. One final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, stay safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. Yeah, leg day. Yep, leg day. And, and, All right, man. Yeah. Bye. We'll see you later. All right, thanks, sorry. Bye. See ya.
flight this plane and landed. It's an entirely different kind of flying. 